0: Chapter 11, verse 1. King Solomon fell in love with many foreign women, besides Pharaoh's daughter, including Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. They came from the nations about which Yahweh had warned Israelites. You must not establish friendly relations with them. If you do, they will surely shift your allegiance to their gods. But Solomon was irresistibly attracted to them. He had seven hundred royal wives and three hundred concubines. his wife had a wives had a powerful influence over him that's a lot of wives that's one thousand wives one thousand wives even if you spent one day with each one of them it would take you like which means there's no relationships here here's something that you're noticing notice David one of his big chinks in his armor was the ladies. He had a hard time resisting them. And Solomon has inherited that, that generational sin. Well, it was was modeled for him for a long time too. And so he has the same issue. And the word used here of his love for them is that in the Deuteronomy, the word used is chesed, of steadfast loyalty to Yahweh. And it's the covenantal word of love. It's not just love in a general sense. It's covenantal love. And the word used here is that he is now loyal and steadfast to them instead. And eventually he's going to be said to have a divided heart. Nowhere was David ever said to have a divided heart. Now, in a practical way, we could say he kind of had a divided heart because he was obedient to God at times and disobedient. And we might use that word today... But that's not the way the Bible is using it. By the Bible means idolatry. Pursuing. Yes, David had a weakness with the women, and he screwed up. Yes, he kind of extorted some people at times, that kind of stuff. Yes, he did some bad things. But when God called him out on his sins, he repented. Because deep down inside, he wanted God. He wanted God. But when Psalm is described, he's described as having a divided heart, which means deep down inside, he wanted both equally. When God called him out, David repented and said, yeah, No, but I I want God. The Psalms are a testament to that. I'm, j- I'm just a screw-up. But my heart wants God. When God, if he did, well, he actually did several times, but... If there was a specific occasion, and if he called out Solomon, Solomon would be like, yeah, but I want you both. Where David was always rejecting and pushing away the sin. And this is where Solomon is drastically different. And this is what's going to bring the anger of God. David never entered into idolatry. He never lifted anything up equal to God intentionally. I mean, we're all guilty of idolatry to a certain point. We're all guilty of disordered love, where we put loves higher than God and that kind of stuff. But usually it's because of our sin nature. But hopefully if somebody calls you out on it, you might rationalize a little bit because that's yourself, but if somebody really got in your life and really got in your face, you'd probably be like, you know what, you're right. But that's not what Solomon does. There's no confession here. When Solomon became old, his wives shifted his allegiance to other gods. He was not wholeheartedly devoted to Yahweh, his god, as his father David had been. Divided heart. Solomon worshipped the Sidonian goddess Astarte and the detestable Ammonite god Milcom. And Solomon did evil in Yahweh's sight. He did not remain loyal to Yahweh like his father David had. Furthermore, on the hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for the detestable Moabite god Kamosh. And for the detestable Ammonite god Milcom. He built high places for all of his foreign wives, so they could burn incense and make sacrifices to their gods. These last two gods that are mentioned are known for their child sacrifice. They're known for their child sacrifice. The downfall of Solomon was not women. The downfall of Solomon was pagan, idolatrous women that he brought into his life. And he began to be attracted more to them than the laws of God and his relationship with God. And he allowed them to turn his loyalty to them and into idolatry. That was his problem. That he loved women and he loved what they wanted more than he loved God and what he wanted. And that was his downfall. And that's what you need to understand. The real problem is not the gold. It's not the women. It's not even the multiple marriages. The real problem is when you start loving other people or other things and what they want more than God and what He wants. It's okay to like food. But if you want food more than you want God, or you want what food can do for you, make you look good or whatever, then that's the problem when it becomes higher than God. There is no way that he has a legitimate, authentic relationship with any of them. I mean, I guess it might be possible he's got a favorite or two, but all these other women. But yet what is ironic is that his relationship with them has to be completely and absolutely shallow, given the numbers of them. Yet that is still enough for him to give in to them and do what they want even that shallow relationship that brief encounters that he has with them is enough that he is so desperate for their approval he's so desperate to please them that he's willing to bring idols into his palace that he's willing to go to the worship service of their idols with them that he's willing to actually begin to participate and maybe it started small like no i'm not going to have an idol and they begged and begged and begged or or he knew that or he saw them pouting and they were unhappy And he built something for them. But he built it way off. And then they came closer. And then they were upset that he didn't go with them. And then he went with them. I don't know how it all worked. But either way, it says that he was turned towards them and wanted what they wanted. He wanted them to love him. And Solomon's greatest weakness was he wasn't fulfilled in God. He needed the approval of other people, and specifically women. Verse 9, Yahweh was angry with Solomon because he had shifted his allegiance away from Yahweh, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him on two occasions and had warned him about this very thing so that he would not follow other gods. But he did not obey Yahweh's command. So Yahweh said to Solomon, because you insist on doing these things and have not kept my covenantal rules, I gave you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. So this is why God's judgment is so severe on Solomon. David committed sins too. I mean, he raped and murdered and extorted and all that kind of stuff. But God did not rip the kingdom from him because David repented. David did not pursue idols. And when God warned David, David turned back. Now Solomon has copied the word of God. He clearly knows the law of God. He has implemented it in his kingdom. He actually had a successful route of wise decisions that were honoring God. So he knows the right thing. God appeared to him several times and warned him of the dangers. And on top of that, he has a divided heart and idolatry. And so, first, he is considered the greatest image of God that the world has. And by that, I don't mean that he's actually functioning as the image of God but he has the highest position. He is Israel. Now, everybody has the image of God, but Israel was to be even more the image of God to the world because they had the law. They, 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 they knew God. They lived in the land, but the king who represented them was to be even more the image of God. And so it's a top-down thing. And so he is to be the greatest shining example of the image of God. In a way, he is a son of God. In that representation, the Bible uses words like that of the kings in the Psalms. They are to represent God. And even in Psalm chapter 2 Samuel, chapter 7, God says, and your descendants will be my son, and I will be a father to them. That he was to represent, look like God. And by sonship, it means to represent him, to look like him, to be a spitting image of him. So he knows better. He is supposed to be the highest and greatest example of what it means to be the image of God. He has the greatest responsibility and authority over everybody else in being the image of God. And yet he is the one who's bringing idolatry in the land. And for this, God is going to judge him harshly. Because the two people who are no better, than, no more than anybody else, and are held a higher standard than everybody else's king and prophet. And just like Moses, when you know more, or you have more relationship with God, or you're held to a higher standard, then you're more is expected of you. And when you screw that up, there's a greater punishment. And so God basically says, I'm going to tear the kingdom from you. That's the exact language is used of Saul. When Saul sinned and walked away from God, God says, "I'm tearing the kingdom from you, and I'm giving it to another." And it was David. Now God's saying, "I don't. Nothing different. I'm tearing the kingdom from you, and I'm going to give it to another." However, for your father David's sake, I will not do this while you are alive. I will tear it away from your son's hand instead. But I will not tear away the entire kingdom. I will leave your son one tribe for my servant David's sake and for the sake of my chosen city, Jerusalem. Notice this. I'm going to rip the entire kingdom out of your hands just like Saul because your sins are just as bad as Saul. However, I'm going to leave you one tribe because I made a covenant with David. Only reason... The only reason you get one tribe is because of my covenant faithfulness. My covenant faithfulness. That's the only thing that makes the line of David now different than Saul. Has nothing to do with their works, their obedience, their godliness, or anything. Has everything to do with God's faithfulness to his covenant. And so God promised David that all of his descendants, or he would always have a descendant sitting on the throne. And so now God is going to say, I'm going to honor that promise. And I will honor it all throughout. But I never said you would have the throne over all of the tribes. And I'm going to take them all away from you. And you'll get to keep Judah. You get to keep Judah. This is amazing. This is amazing because his sin is actually zeroed in on more than Saul's. And it's actually greater than Saul because Saul never really has really directly emphasized that he was an idolater. And yet God is ripping everything from Solomon, and the only reason not ripping every tribe is because of his faithfulness, his covenant. And this is really important because when we get to the prophets, well, one, we get through the rest of the kings, but especially the prophets, the message is going to be constantly beaten is. I'm going to punish you. I'm going to take you in exile. I'm going to rip kingdoms from you. I'm going to rip the land from you. I'm going to rip all of it from you. And I have every right to do this. And I will never, ever, ever give it ever back to you ever again because you don't deserve it and I don't give it back to anybody except of my covenant with Abraham. And I'll restore you and I'll bring you back to the land and I'll make you a great nation again because of my faithfulness. And that's the whole message of the prophets. You don't deserve this. But I'll give it to you because of my faithfulness. That's all the details we're given right now. We're going to get more details on how this kingdom split happens a little bit later. So in verse 14, Yahweh brought against Solomon an enemy, Hadad the Edomite, a descendant of the Edomite king. And during David's campaign against Edom, Job, the commander of the army, while on a mission to bury the dead, killed every male in Edom. For six months, Joab and the entire Israelite army stayed there until they exterminated every male in Edom. And Hadad, who was only a small boy at the time, escaped with some of his father's Edomite servants and headed to Egypt. They went from Midian to Paran, and they took some of the men of Paran and went to Egypt. A pharaoh king of Egypt supplied him with a house and food and even assigned him some of the land. Pharaoh liked Hadad so well, he gave him his sister-in-law, Queen Tapanes' sister as a wife. Tapanes' sister gave birth to a son named Giniubath, and Tapanes raised him in Pharaoh's palace. Giniubath grew up in Pharaoh's palace among Pharaoh's sons. While in Egypt, Hadad heard that David had passed away and that Job, the commander of the army, was dead. So Hadad asked Pharaoh, Give me permission to leave so I can return to my homeland. And Pharaoh said to him, What do you lack here and make?" It makes, ah, sorry. Pharaoh said to him, what do you lack here that makes you want to go to your homeland? Hadad replied, nothing, but please give me permission to leave. This is really interesting. There's lots of things going on. So notice the first thing it says is that as a punishment, God raised up many adversaries against Solomon. God is the one raising this up. Now it goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 27 through 28. God made it very clear that if you sin against me and you violate the law, then I will bring famine. And then after famine, then I will bring enemies oppressing you. And then eventually they will occupy you. And then you will be carried off in exile. It's a step thing. So this fits right there with Deuteronomy. So Solomon's reaping the covenant blessings of the Davidic covenant. Because the Davidic covenant is unconditional. And no matter what happens, God promises that he will keep a descendant of David on the throne. But there's also the Mosaic covenant that says that the sins must be punished. So now Solomon's reaping the covenant curses of the Deuteronomic law. So you actually have multiple covenants going on here. And the fact that he's not just going to completely lay waste to Israel altogether is because of the Abrahamic covenant. So the Abrahamic covenant is going to keep God from just wiping Israel off the face of the earth like he did the Canaanites. The Davidic covenant is keeping God from taking all the tribes from Solomon, but the Mosaic covenant means that God is going to punish them for their sins because they deserve it. So there's, there's different levels of what's happening here. So he says, look, I'll let you keep one tribe, but I'm sending Hadad, the Mosaic covenant. And so he sends Hadad. And Hadad has the backing of God, so to speak, to just be a thorn in his flesh. But here's the other thing. Why has Hadad, why is he so angry at Solomon? Yes, but did Solomon actually kill his family? No, who did? But not even really David. Joab, oh, Joab's back. See, David let Joab get out of control. And Joab massacred and exterminated tons of Edomites. And David did nothing to right that wrong. But David's dead now, and Job's dead now, and now he's angry at the children. And we kind of understand that. That's a little bit of the Hatfields and the McCoys. Now, this is what happened. Notice how David couldn't control Joab. He wasn't willing to kill Joab like he should have justly, because Joab was also convenient to have, because it kept David from getting his hands bloody. But then when David died, he said, make sure you kill Joab, because I don't want you to be harmed by Joab's life. He's trying to protect his son by murdering Joab. Solomon follows through on that advice, but did David really successfully protect Solomon from Joab's actions? No. Now Joab's actions, all these years later, are coming back up on the next generation and maybe if Solomon would have gone to God and asked him what he should have done with Joab instead of taking David's bloody advice. And if Solomon would have stayed true with, to God, Hadad would have never been an issue. Because that's the other thing that's going on here. Do you know how many bad things could happen to you every single day? If you just want a little glimpse of all the horrible uh, things that could ever happen to you, turn on the news. Just watch it. You wonder why? We have no idea how much God is protecting us. God made it very clear. If you follow me, I'll bless you. Now, he didn't promise health, wealth, and prosperity to us. And the blessings promising us as the believers in the church are not the same as the blessings to Israel as a nation. But he did promise to bless us. He did promise to protect us. He did promise to guide us. And yes, bad things still happen to us. And some horrible things happen to different Christians. But that's all in his plans. And he's using it for his good. And he's using it to build character. But just that random judgments, that random non... That doesn't happen. Even when bad things happen to us and suffering goes through us, we can kind of look back and see how God has used it. There are some things that have happened in my life that took me 10 years before I finally realized how God was using it. But eventually I began to realize it because I saw the change in my character. It took a long time to see that change because character change is slow. But I was able to say, wow, I'm a different person now because of that suffering. I didn't enjoy it, didn't really want to have it, but I know that I wouldn't be who I am today without that suffering. I would be a worse worse version of myself. Because there's nothing random that happens to me. But when you walk away from God and he takes his hands of protection off as in Romans and God gave them over to their sexual morality and their idolatry and then all the crap in the world is random so to speak. I mean one you you can say yes but the ultimate goal of God is to get you to come back to him. But you're not having character growth during that time because you're shaking your fist at God. And so now all this stuff is like God has taken his hands off. And he's saying, you thought you were that amazing? That you had that much peace and that much wisdom and that much prosperity and that much protection and blessings and nobody was harming you? It's not even because you had an amazing army. Yes, you had an amazing army, but you never used it because nobody ever attacked you. It's because of me. I blessed you. I told you at the very beginning of your life but now that you've walked away from me and you shook your hand at me, and I said, fine, you can have what you want. And God backs off and he gives Solomon over into his own military, his own economy, his own decisions, and Solomon realizes he actually can't handle it. And now everything begins to blow up in his face. If he ever turned back to God and repent, then the blessings would return. Because Chronicles says, if my people humble themselves and get on their knees and cry out to me, then I will restore the rains and the vats and the blessings and I'll bring redemption. But it doesn't turn to God. So things just keep falling apart. But here's the other thing that's happening here. So <laughs> all these layers. Who protected Hadad and funded him? Egypt. Egypt. And the Egyptian, Pharaoh gave him a wife and a treaty. Wait a minute. Isn't that how Solomon's reign began? He made a treaty with Pharaoh. And he trusted in Pharaoh. And him and Pharaoh were best pals. But now Pharaoh's betraying him. And Pharaoh's funding an attack against him. Because this is what happens when you trust in treaties with pagan nations instead of trusting in God. And this is why Sinan will come along later to Hezekiah and say, are you trusting in Egypt to protect you? Egypt is a splintered reed that stabs you when you lean on it for support. And every time anybody leans on Egypt, the reed they break and stab you in the back, so to speak. And so all these layers are happening. All this is happening because Solomon no longer pursues God. The sins of the past are rearing its head up and taking him. No longer is God protecting them. Treaties that he trusted in are now failing him. So verse 23, God also brought up against Solomon another enemy, Rezan's son of Eladiah, who had run away from his master king Hazadar of Zobah, and he gathered some men from the organized a raiding band. When David tried to kill them, they went to Damascus where they set, settled down and gained control of the city. He was Israel's enemy throughout Solomon's reign, and like Hadad, caused trouble. He loathed Israel and ruled over Assyria.